0: Welcome to the Next Level Communications podcast, the show that explores how to have more meaningful conversations and make real connections in business and in life. I'm your host, Eloise Leeson, founder of Olin, a Next Level Communication Consultancy. As a linguist, I'm passionate about helping people improve their ability to communicate. And on the show, we'll be discussing ideas and strategies to help you close the gap between what you think you're saying and what is actually being received by your customers. Effective communication takes empathy, self-awareness, and a commitment to seeing things from another person perspective my goal with this show is to get you talking about talking thinking about brand considering your language and most importantly focusing on that other person communication is at the heart of all relationships my hope is that this show will help you nurture your connections through more conscious impactful conversations i am so glad that you are here Hello and welcome back to episode three, episode three. Of the Next Level Communications podcast. I am going to be completely transparent with you all. I am currently recovering from uh, a fairly epic bout of revolting lurgy. So if I sound a bit blocked up, um, it's not because I've done a sneeze on my keyboard, which happened in the last episode, but I am um, just, you're just going to have to pretend that this is a sort of a, a sexy voice version episode uh, and still mark the episode as clean. Anyway so thrilled that you have tuned back in for our research episode flipping the research script on everything that we need to do to create a really solid brand foundation so i'm gonna launch into a mini rant to start with about the absolute dearth of uh just complete absence of research that I see in so many large organizations who will, I'm sure, regularly ask internally all of these good questions. But for whatever reason, we are And I am actually, I do understand why we get nervous to take that next step to talk to people. Uh, But this episode, we're going to cover a whole variety of things relating to making audience research a little bit less scary and far more impactful for you as a business and to delight, genuinely delight your customers. So we're going to cover a whole variety of things. We're going to look at what you should be researching and why, um, how you go about conducting some of that research, what can you do, what are the avenues to do, what might you have in-house already that's a gold mine that you're letting go untapped. We are getting very Paolo Coelho with diamonds in our back up um, on that one. Um, why are you asking the questions that you're asking in the first place. And have you checked those questions for a linguistic bias? So we are going to get into some very interesting things, what you do with the results of that research, for example, um, and why better research questions. Asking better questions is going to get better answers. Um, And again, Stephen Bartlett, one of my all-time favourite human beings. His question, or rather, his point about invalid questions is particularly applicable to today's episode, where we talk about uh, the right questions to ask. For example, what number is fork? is a really good example of an invalid question. Asking someone, do you love them versus how do you feel about them if it's a relatively new relationship? So let's let's really get into some of the granularity of our language today. You know that's my happy place to be. Um, but also, I hope everybody is just doing so well. What is new in your world? Let me know. Um, and I just want to say a huge, huge heartfelt thank you to everybody who was so kind on my slightly navel-gazing sad girl LinkedIn post of last week. Uh, if you caught it and you listened to this and you commented All send good vibes. I am so grateful for you. But enough chat about me. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your customers and your audience research. So, number one, number one thing why is research so profoundly important? I kind of feel a bit silly having to say this, but research is important because it means you are not guesstimating your brand strategy. You're not You're not trying to stick a finger in the air and assume you've got the right thing. You are avoiding confirmation bias. And when you start to apply some of the principles of things like design thinking, you get into a really exciting place where all of a sudden you are no longer working on assumptions. And as people in my family, 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 (laughs) family. As people in my family regularly say, that was family and regularly that were smooshed together. As we like to say, assuming makes an ass out of you and me. So when it comes to thinking about the right questions to ask and the importance of research, making sure that you're you're taking action, you're spending budget, you can prove why you're doing what you're doing to your board, showing people the results and the the relative impact, the strategy, the reasons behind what you're doing. Not only does it give you confidence and kind of empirical evidence in knowing the right path forward, but it can also create huge benefits that aren't necessarily immediately apparent. When you ask your customers for their genuine and honest feedback, not only do you make them feel enormously valued by having everybody, including myself, loves to share their opinion. So when you're asking your customers about their opinions on your business, suddenly you have made them a stakeholder in your successful future because they have been invited to almost guide and direct in some way because of the virtue of their opinion, the virtue of their experience. They now get the chance to share with you some of the things that can make you better in the future that you might not even have known for yourself. And this is why it's also profoundly important to do customer research, to do those off quizzes and questions, to have those informal calls. Not only do you start to build a back- or a corpus, that's a body, a corpus of language um, where you can then look for key terms in all of that research to say, oh gosh, customers keep using this adjective to describe us again and again. There might be something in that we should explore as part of our brand. But your customers also get to tell you what impact you had on them. Rather than dictating the outcome of what you assume your work is, or worse, underselling yourself in terms of what value you add, let the people you've added value to articulate that for you instead. Because all of a sudden, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but anybody who struggles with imposter syndrome or if you're British and you're awkward about selling things and sort of the human inspection of emotion generally. If you're awkward about stuff like that, it can be really hard to kind of blow your own trumpet. And when your customer is the one telling you that you've done something really great, then all of a sudden it isn't coming from you anymore. You're just sharing what another delighted customer has reported about working with you. Now, doesn't that feel better from a sales strategy perspective? When you're able to go out and say, I helped And here's the evidence. I helped this group of people achieve this in this time frame and the impact on their business has been this. And they are so happy. They're just delighted to be working again together next quarter. That all of a sudden becomes reassurance for you and incontrovertible social proof for your future customers. And as the fabulous, Alex Mosca will say, your best customers are using the language of your best customers is the best way to find future best customers. So with all of that in mind, the benefits to doing audience research are manifold. The huge obstacle in the way of doing that audience research is all the fear that we have around what do people really think of me. Now, I don't know. I was obviously an absolute inky swat at high school and I just loved report cards. I I loved the, the parents' nights. I loved the fact that my teachers would regularly very sweetly tell my parents I was doing a good job. I was a very enthusiastic student. And when it comes down to business, especially if you are a solo consultant or an entrepreneur, everything suddenly gets very, very personal. And I think the important thing to do is to remember that actually everything that you're asking your customer for is ultimately in service of them. So rather than sort of selflessness as being thinking less of yourself. Try and make it about thinking about ourselves less. So research ultimately is about understanding your customer's experience. What are they looking for? What do they need to get out of this? And what can you do to make things better in the future? It's your chance to identify problems before they happen. Put out the fire before it starts. If customers are repeatedly and regularly telling you that they're frustrated with one piece of your process, for goodness sake, fix it before it becomes an exit point for a future customer. Um the way that you conduct this research is really important obviously you will find that there so there are a number of different avenues that you can do this and just to round out that point about the nervousness about asking people for feedback um, when you tell them that you're doing it, and you can use me as an excuse for all of this when you tell people that you are doing research for your brand or your company um It can sometimes feel like too much of an ask. You don't want to take up people's time. You're worried about receiving that feedback in person. Totally understand all of the nervousness and anxiety around that. That's no problem. The problem is that can't become the obstacle. So you have to feel that fear and then do the thing anyway. General advice for life. You're welcome. Um, But when it comes to asking that, if you can tell people that you are about to do a rebranding exercise or you're, you're doing some customer research and you're keen to speak to your best customers. All of a sudden, you've framed the person in question that you're talking to. You have framed them as one of their best customers. You're speaking to their ego. You're speaking to that kind of reward center of the brain. And all of a sudden, someone has asked me for help. I feel important. I feel valuable. Of course, I want to give you my opinion. Yes, I'd love to share that with you. Um, And all of a sudden, you've framed them, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast episode, you've framed them as being uh, a future stakeholder in your success, which is, it can be a really nice thing for people to feel. And when it comes to the, uh, the actual questions, if you tell them that you are doing it as part of a, an exercise and a consultant, hello me, um, has provided you with a list of questions or has come up with a series of questions that they have asked for us to get in touch with our best customers and clients to ask for their opinion. Sometimes that takes the pressure off. If you can blame a third party, it always, it can go down well. Um, It makes it look like it's not so much a personal demand as it is a, we're consulting you, our client, for advice. So creating a research script or creating some kind, and obviously it all depends on the kind of customer research you want to do. If you're looking for people to tell you about your brand, your impact, your success, the value that you've had, which is really the focus and the theme of this podcast season, I thoroughly recommend a, a one-to-one personal conversation. There is nothing nicer than having feedback given face-to-face, especially if you already have great rapport with a client. I would argue it's even more important to do that if you don't have great rapport with a client. First of all, it's an opportunity to build that relationship or repair that relationship. Every breakdown in the customer experience is a chance to turn that person into a lifelong vigil fan. what the hell do i mean when i say vigil fan? i mean the kind of people that would hold a vigil for your brand if like tesla although elon musk um when tesla was about to be pulled from the market people went outside and held vigils outside the factory because it was so bought into the idea of a car that did not even exist yet so i had to take the opportunity to create this kind of concept of a vigil a vigil for a vigil customer um and have that one-to-one conversation with them. Tell them that you're going to send over a list of questions in advance. You don't want them to overthink it too much. And that is true from a linguistics perspective. You don't want them to overthink their answers. You want that candid conversation. You time box it. So you tell them it's only going to be about 25 minutes of your time. I'll buy you a virtual coffee, if that would help. Um, And you send them over the list of questions 24 hours in advance. And and the questions that you ask need to be geared around some of the things that you find really that you're desperate to know the answers to, but in a way that doesn't force them to provide you with a convenient answer. So you have to make enough room for them to be able to share their true experience with you. And that comes from two things. It comes from asking open ended questions and it comes from you shutting the fluff up. Don't jump in. Don't interrupt when it comes to them sharing their opinion with you. Because often, and I know that silences, silences, particularly in virtual calls, feel uncomfortable because they are artificial and sometimes they signal that like the technology is broken down. But if you can sit with that silence, give your clients, your customers, your interviewee a chance to think about things, that will give them often some space to think of other answers they might not have immediately come up with. So the questions that you want to be asking if it's around brand specific you'd be like what was your experience of working with us what was your initial impression of how we were about to approach the project what were some of the things that helped you realize that you needed what we offered what was the thought process was there an aha moment or was it a series of instances over time not only does that help you shed light on oh Here's the crux. Here's the moment people realize they have a need for us. But it also gives you an opportunity to speak that in some of your sales and marketing. Uh, When you're at that sales journey, when do you need to be there meeting the customer where they are? really good food for thought. Um, What values would you say that, or what values did you get the impression we held as a company before we engaged with you? Getting that first impression understanding can be so valuable in terms of painting a really clear picture of how your brand, accidental or not, is currently presenting itself. So massively recommend that you look at that. Understanding why you're asking. So get get a goal for your research understanding why you are asking the questions that you're asking will also help your client to frame their answers in a really helpful way. So if you tell them, we're doing a rebranding exercise, we are looking to make sure that our brand and the way it comes across is more authentic to us as a business and more authentic for our clients. We want to show up and have real clarity in what we're offering. We need to speak our customer's language. You are going to be an amazing source of information for that. That is why we would love to have this call with you. And then when it comes to that language bias, what you don't want to do is say, what was what was positive about your experience? I mean, Actually, maybe you do want to ask that, but you don't want to necessarily say, when were our brand values X, Y, Z, A, B, Z, present in your experience because then you send them looking for those values when they might not have actually experienced them themselves and as human beings we are very good at convincing ourselves of things that haven't happened so we're great at making our mental experiences or our recollections fit what is being asked of us at the moment so it's really crucial that you avoid and when i say linguistic bias i just mean don't ask a leading question don't ask a question that is going to force someone to give you an answer um you want someone to be completely, you want to create a space where they can be completely open and honest with you about what went on. And sometimes it's even as helpful as saying, there's literally not a wrong answer here. We are just gathering information and feedback. Obviously, you need to let them know if this is relevant, that that everything will be held in confidentiality. That can often go a long way to helping people feel more calm and at ease. You need to let them know that their responses will be anonymized and that they will be held in confidence. Those are all really important things to do. But Asking questions about what would have made your experience better? What would you love us to do more of? What could we do less of? Was there anything that we didn't catch this time? Um, And sometimes persisting in asking the question if you got a kind of fob off answer to begin with can be helpful. So I'm not saying interrogate anybody. No, no, no. I am saying how I think about asking sensitive questions that are really going to shine a light on the answers that you're looking for. And don't argue when they give you an answer that you don't like or you don't agree with when you're asking questions in this space you are you don't mm, am i going to go as far as saying you forfeit the right to argue i am actually i'm going to say that because you have asked them for their opinion don't take it as criticism it's just feedback they are entitled to give it to you when you have asked them for it they've sacrificed their time and their mental energy to show up to your call so I'm sure no one does. I hope no one does. But don't get combated. I know it's difficult. I know it's it's really awkward. Sometimes it's because you don't believe in how good you are. Sometimes it can come from a place of, I, well, how could you possibly be describing that? We just didn't do that good a job. You have to remember that what you're asking for is information. What you do with that information is up to you in the long run, but you don't get to dispute the information you're being given. As it comes through. I hope that makes sense. Let me know via email if it doesn't, and I'll address it in a future in a future episode. So your research script it, it really varies. It depends on how much time you have. It depends on the most pressing questions you have. As a general rule of thumb, I and you have a good rapport with a customer, I would recommend sort of maybe twenty to twenty five minutes to ask. Sorry, I just dropped my pen. To ask uh, anywhere between ten and fifteen questions, and some of those questions you will go into more detail around. And sometimes you'll find that one answer will answer multiple questions. Um, I will share some of my favorite brand exercise and analysis questions with you in the show notes of this episode. Um, But some of them are the ones I've shared already. So what was your first impression of us as a company? What was one thing we did really, really well? How uh, How did you create the impression or how did you gather enough evidence to realize that we were someone that you wanted to work with? Did we solve the problem that you thought we needed to solve or did it turn out we added value in other areas as well? What would you love us to bring in in the future? What would you like to see more of? All of these questions that are really open-ended. So there's what, why, how, when, where. Try not to ask do you or or, or did this because that will often limit you to a yes or a no answer. Um, The more open your questions can be, the more interesting your answers will be when you receive them. So that is my kind of cliffs notes on why it's so important to think about avoiding language bias, asking those open-ended questions, conducting research, doing it in a really friendly, open-ended, grateful fashion. Really important to do. And then the results. Oh my gosh, what do you even do with the results of that research? Well, I'm so glad that you asked, that I asked myself this question on your behalf. The, the results of that research, you need to put into an action plan because otherwise it's just an exercise in delay. What you cannot do is gather all of this amazing insight from multiple customers and oh, actually just thinking about that now, how many customers should you be asking when it comes to your uh, your research in question? Well, that's a great question. It depends on how many customers you have available. I generally recommend anywhere between eight to ten candidates at least because you're going to avoid what could be uh, a pattern that repeats itself that isn't a trend so you might get three people on a call who all say something vaguely similar but that is it might be accidental so you might find that those three people have all had very similar experiences maybe they were all handled by the same account manager but actually you have another account manager who maybe handles things a different way if you don't get a really good sample size of customers um you're going to run the risk of assuming that something that is true for three people is true for all of them. The larger the representation you can make of different projects, different styles of communication, different staff members in-house, um, different project managers, different approaches, the better, more clearer picture you will start to paint of how your business actually does its business. So I hope that helps. Sorry, that was like my last segue that I hadn't quite mentioned when I should have. So just going back to the what you do with the results of that research, you have to do something with it. Otherwise, it's a, it's a complete exercise in futility. You'll know in your brain that you've got all this info. But unless you plan to do something strategically with it, there's really no point in the exercise at all. So what do you do? You put some time in your diary as a first step. You put some time in your diary when all those calls are concluded to sit down and go through the transcripts because of course you are well, you know, you're well-versed at inside of things. You've recorded them. You've created your transcripts and you're going to go through them. And I want you to highlight and group the answers to the questions and just underline anything that seems interesting or that jumps out to you immediately have a look at the adjectives that people are using. Have a look at the words that they are using to describe particular processes, their first impressions, where their moments were. And for every question that you've asked them, because you're going to be using the same research script to standardize the, the, the responses that you get or to categorize rather. And under each of those, get a big bit of flip chart paper. Under each of those questions, write down common answers, common themes, and then the outlines what was different from someone's response? If you're finding that there are themes and trends from your excellent representative sample size, what were the themes? What came up again and again and again and again? When did people realise they needed your service? Is there a commonality in that? And when you realise that, what do you do? Well, you, you make a note of the instances when these things happened. You create some kind of meaningful report and response, and then you share that you share that with other people. Don't keep the findings just to yourself. If you work in internal comms, you work as a comms manager, marketing manager, social media director, any of these things, sharing the results, the findings will give you the opportunity to also gather information from your internal team to say, oh yeah, actually that makes sense because this person has responded in emails this way and they've said this, and they've put this feedback up here. You start to build this kind of larger collective picture of what your brand is actually doing especially if you haven't yet done a brand exercise. Or actually, more importantly, if you've done a brand exercise, you want to make sure it's still consistent. That's a great way to do that pulse check. So finding a way to to share the results of that. And if you're not delighted with the results, you need to ask yourself what you're going to do to change it. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So based on what you've done and based on the information that you've gathered now, if a customer has told you that a piece of process is falling down, go and fix it for goodness sake. Don't just be aware of it. Don't just make this research theoretical. You have to make it as practical as possible. And then go back and share with the customers that you spoke to and say, hey, we're so grateful for your feedback. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Here's what we've done to change it based on your information, based on what you gave us, your answer. That is one of the most beautiful ways to validate your customer is to say, we listened to you. We took action. Here's what we did. Now, you might not necessarily work with that customer again. That's just fine. But if they need to recommend your services to someone else that they're in a similar position to, and you've built that trust by saying, we have done something on the back of the information that you gave us, well, come on, it's a no-brainer. Of course, you're going to get that referral. It's going to create a warm relationship if nothing else. You've proven that you're trustworthy and you are making changes in alignment with what your best customers are looking for in the future. I strongly recommend doing this kind of research for any external facing company at least, at least once a year, if not more. I know it sounds cumbersome. If it's super cumbersome, talk to me. I'd love to help. But what you need to do is start thinking about strategically, where are we going to make these changes? And when are we going to ask these questions? What are we going to do with those results? Because the results will then guide you. This is what's so great is the results take the guesswork out of your strategy. They take the guesswork out of where am I going wrong with X, Y, and Z? What do I need to do to be better? How can we delight our customers? Don't fall for shiny-itis. Marcus Hemsley, that's one That's one for you. Don't fall for the shiny-itis or the silver bullet syndrome of thinking that something external is going to solve your problems. It's not. Go out and get the feedback. Find out what people are looking for. Absorb it into your business, into your company, your processes. Make some really good changes. Go out and tell people you've made those changes. Rinse and repeat. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, i mean maybe it does i hope it does maybe it doesn't sound like a lot but when you do this repeatedly you start to build a really good sense you start to anticipate develop an instinct for how can we better delight and serve our customers how can we make sure that what they're experiencing is so good that word of mouth becomes our best sales strategy those are really exciting things to be thinking of so i'm going to leave you with that today i hope that has been fun at the very least for you to have a think about um I know we can touch on things like surveys or social listening, but really one-to-one research in terms of the, in, in sort of the, what's the right word, in the spirit of getting your brand where it should be. I'm so glad that we've had this chat today. So any questions, as always, reach out. I would be so thrilled to hear from you. I hope this has been informative. I hope it's been interesting. I'm so grateful that you're still here. Thank you for tuning into episode three. I hope you have the best day and I will speak with you soon.